0: A Spectator subscription is now better value than ever before. As a new subscriber joining today, you'll pay just £1 a week for unlimited online and app access in your first year. To subscribe today, go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited.
1: Hello and welcome to Spectator Out Loud. Each week, we choose three of our favourite pieces from the magazine and ask their writers to read them aloud. I'm Oscar Edmondson, and on this podcast, Katie Balls discusses the challenges facing prospective PM Liz Truss who would make up her first cabinet. Then, Toby Young on why he's defending a pro Putin apologist. And finally, Mark Palmer reads his notes on hand luggage. Up first, Katie Balls.
0: Whatever else you do, don't step backwards. A man in the crowd shouts to Rishi Sunak as he stands on the edge of a swimming pool in the garden of a Tory councillor's home in Bushy, Hertfordshire. About 100 party members have gathered here to hear Sunak's pitch. It's the first of three stops he's making before a Hustings in Cheltenham. The leadership race will be decided by around 160,000 Tory members, and Sunak seems to be trying to meet as many of them as he can. On each visit, he offers a version of his stump speech, including jokes about his height and how, unlike Boris Johnson, he looks as though his mother brushed his hair. Every address he gives has a common theme, the economy. We know inflation is the enemy. It makes everyone poorer, Sinek says. He positions himself as a candidate who tells people things they don't want to hear. The implication is clear. He will speak the truth while Liz Truss will make promises she can't keep. Her allies say his agenda lacks ambition and that she's a woman of action, hence her pledge of tax cuts now. Polls attest that Truss's vision is more popular of members, but Sue Neck's message is gaining traction in the Southern Blue Wall. It seems to go down well in this prosperous small town on the outskirts of North London. I think Liz will win, but it's a great shame, says Thomas, a pensioner. I've got a credit card. You can't put it all on the credit card. Another man tells me, If she prioritises tax cuts for the well-off, people won't forget that, or forgive. Liz is Truss's challenge. The favourite to enter number 10 next month, she faces a daunting first 100 days. To deliver tax cuts while guiding the country through crises in the cost of living and the NHS. Even her own backers privately have doubts about the High Stakes Juggling Act. We are stepping into the great unknown muses one Tory MP who would rather trust than Sunak. Both teams are in discussion with the civil service about their ideas for government. The Sunak camp questions the polls and believes that everything is still to play for. Despite predictions that 50% of members have now voted, most attending campaign events are yet to cast their ballots. They're more likely to see Sunak than Truss, who, as of this week, will be spending half her time planning for her premiership. Truss promises a September emergency budget that will either make or break her as prime minister. Tax cuts, which she says can be financed by extra borrowing, and would promote growth. She is reluctant to give any more details until the contest is over, but she'll have to take the edge off the energy price cap rise. A figure close to the centre says there is recognition that this could require something radical. Kwasi Kwarteng, the business secretary, is expected to be her chancellor. The pair are old friends having worked together on the Britannia Unchained book in the early political years. Both are members of the Free Market Caucus of Tory MPs and both strongly opposed to Unite's windfall tax. They live near one another in south-east London alongside fellow trust backer Lord Frost. Is the Greenwich Mafia, says one supporter. While no appointment has been confirmed, those close to the pair believe it could be the most amicable PM chance of the partnership since David Cameron and George Osborne. A colleague predicts Quatang would facilitate, not emasculate. It helps that he doesn't actually want to be Prime Minister, says a party figure, who as at Kuateng, an old Etonian, isn't so fussed about popularity, which may be just as well given the spending cuts he could end up making. One trust supporter says the first test of her premiership will come when she names her cabinet. Will she go for vengeance or seek to unify the party by offering posts to her critics? If it's a jolt to the girls democracy, we'll know that her project is doomed, an ex-minister argues, so we should know pretty soon. It certainly seems probable that under trust, the number of women in senior roles would rise. Therese Coffey, her closest political ally, is expected to retain an important cabinet job. Suella Braverman is tipped for home secretary after a tough negotiation saw her row in behind trust, instructing her Brexiteer backers to do the same when she was knocked out early in the leadership contest. The hope is that Braverman will be able to use her legal expertise to tackle the small boat crossings. Other posts will likely feature Penny Mordant, who has endorsed Trust, and Kemi Badenoch, who has kept her powder dry after being knocked out of the race. Meanwhile, Foreign Secretary could go to early Trust backer James Cleverly, a former Foreign Office Minister, but Tom Tugendhat, who shares Trust's hawkish ideology, can't be completely ruled out. As for mending blue-on-blue blue wounds, Senek will be offered something, although few think he will accept. Cabinet Office Minister Michael Ellis is one of the few Sunak supporters tipped for a role, as not many more are expected to join him. Dominic Raab, who has described the trust economic agenda as a suicide note, is unlikely to be forgiven, nor will he be the only one sent to political Siberia. Michael Gove, who backed Bajanok, is expected to be left on the back benches. Gove is done, says a Trust supporter, and there is little love lost between the two after several disputes during their time in Cabinet. Rewards for loyalty will likely extend to her staff team. While there is speculation that Lord Frost or Number 10 aide David Canzini could serve in Trust at Downing Street, her former advisor Ruth Porter, who has played a key role on the campaign and knows Trust well, is a probable pick for Chief of Staff. Of course, all this planning could come to nothing. Sunak will keep meeting members and wearing out his shoe leather. He has, in fact, literally worn a hole in his shoe, but not the Prada ones hoping that the polls are wrong and that Truss might implode. But those close to both candidates think that barring a miracle, the race is nearly over and Truss is only weeks away from becoming Britain's third female Prime Minister. She'll make it to number 10, that's certain, says one of her backers. It's making it to Easter that's harder.
1: That was Katie Balls. Next, Toby Young.
2: As a defender of free speech, I'm used to taking up the cudgels on behalf of unsavoury people. To quote Lord Justice Sedley in a famous High Court judgment in 1999, freedom of speech includes not only the inoffensive, but the irritating, the contentious, the eccentric, the heretical, the unwelcome and the provocative, provided it does not tend to provoke violence. But the case of Graham Phillips, who was sanctioned by the British government last month, is one of the hardest I've ever had to wrestle with. Phillips styles himself an independent journalist, But it's far from clear that the additional free speech protections we apply to journalists should be extended to him. It would be more accurate to describe him as a pro-Russian propagandist. He's a British citizen who's been based in Ukraine for the most part since 2010, writing stories and making YouTube videos about football, prostitution, crime, politics, and most recently, Putin's invasion. There's no evidence he's a paid asset of the Russian state, but RT, the state-owned broadcaster, has employed him in the past, and in 2015 he was awarded a medal by the Border Service, a branch of the FSB. The former Cabinet Minister, Damien Green, has described him as the modern equivalent of Lord haw Perhaps the most serious allegation against Phillips is that he may have breached international law by interviewing prisoners of war. In April, he broadcast an interview with Aidan Aslin a British-Ukrainian soldier captured by Russia who has since been sentenced to death. According to the barrister Geoffrey Robertson, this may have been unlawful because the coercive interrogation of prisoners of war for propaganda purposes is contrary to the Geneva Conventions, although Phillips disputes the coercive part, claiming he interviewed Aslin at Aslin's request. He has form in this area. In 2016, he uploaded an interview he'd done with the Ukrainian prisoner of war just before a prisoner exchange, although interview may not be the right word. The prisoner had lost both arms and his sight in a mind blast, and Phillips can be heard ridiculing him for blowing himself up. So, not the sort of journalist most free speech champions are inclined to defend, and indeed, I don't know of any single advocacy group that has defended his rights, although Peter Hitchens has. But there's an important civil liberties issue here, because the decision to sanction him, the first British citizen to be sanctioned over Ukraine by our government, was taken without apparent due process. And being sanctioned is a big deal. Phillips' bank accounts have been frozen, so he's unable to pay the bills on his mortgage property in England. No well-wishers can pay the bills on his behalf, because it's illegal to provide someone on the sanctions list with financial assistance. The majority of his income comes from donations via platforms like Patreon, but he's had to close them down. He has been officially declared a persona non grata, yet without having been found guilty in a court of law. According to the Foreign Office, the reason for sanctioning Phillips isn't because he's guilty of a crime, but because he has, quote, Produced and published media content that supports and promotes actions and policies which destabilize Ukraine and undermine or threaten the territorial integrity, sovereignty, or independence of Ukraine. That may be true, but why is that a reason to punish him without trial? If Britain was at war with Russia, that would be one thing. Some civil liberties need to be suspended during wartime. But we're not. The problem with this rationale is that it could easily be applied to another video blogger who was a thorn in the side of one of our allies, Saudi Arabia for instance, making it a sinister precedent. Indeed, had Corbyn won the last general election and frozen the assets of a dubious journalist taking sides against a communist country he had declared an ally, such as Cuba, we'd be justifiably outraged. I think those of us who care about free speech need to hold our noses and condemn this decision. If the government thinks Phillips is guilty of a crime, then it should issue an international arrest warrant and bring him to justice. But until he has been convicted in court, he should not be penalised by the state. To punish him without due process is a breach of one of the most sacrosanct principles of English common law, as set out in Magna Carta. If we don't challenge this decision, unappealing though Phillips may be, any one of us could be next.
1: That was Toby Young, and finally Mark Palmer.
3: The general flying advice this year with airports resembling cattle markets and when you can't be sure if you're ever going to take off is only travel with hand luggage packing a fortnight's holiday into the tiniest of bags has become an art form social media is awash with tips on minimalist packing and dedicated websites on traveling light have sprung up with experts advising what you should and what you shouldn't pack it's depressing Yes, the lighter the plane, the less fuel it uses, which is no bad thing for the environment. But a holiday is meant to be an indulgence, a chance to experiment with new outfits. Instead, the less is more principle is being abused to such an extent that we're having to do clothes washing while away on holiday. In fact, in a subtle way, you're made to feel guilty about taking a jumbo suitcase on holiday. Unless you're Colleen Rooney, who normally arrives in Barbados, with not just Wayne and her four boys in tow, but an army of posh powder blue Samsonite spinner cases, mini ones for the children, maxi ones for mum and dad. Good for her. Colleen can of course afford the excess baggage and the van to take the stuff to Sandy Lane. But even so, what a joy it must be to hang all your holiday frocks in cupboards and then quietly sift through them each evening before deciding what might be suitable. Still, rules are rules and they're becoming complicated For example, buy a British Airways economy ticket and you're allowed one piece of hand luggage to put in the overhead locker and one other small item such as a handbag or briefcase to go under the seat. Both can weigh up to 23 kilograms, which is the same weight as a checked-in case when paying for an economy plus ticket. Book a British Airways holiday package, hotel as well as flight, and you're automatically allowed to check in a 23 kilogram bag. Jet 2 operates in the same way, flight only, and you pay for hold luggage, whereas a package includes 22 kilograms in the hold. Ryanair is currently charging around 50 pounds per 20 kilogram bag in the hold, while EasyJet charges as much as 110 pounds. With such high prices, it's not surprising that luggage has become the latest polarizing force between the rich and those whom, as Theresa May put it, are just about managing. It also means that Amazon and others are keen to push books such as The Lonely Planets, How to Pack for Any Trip, co-authored by Sarah Barrell. The first thing to do is lay everything you want to take out on the bed and then reduce it by a quarter, says Barrell. Then remind yourself that one outfit per day is plenty. Be brutal. But where's the fun in that? It's brutal commuting to work each day. It's brutal trying to book an appointment to see your GP. It's brutal making contact with your energy supplier. There are quite enough brutal options out there without adding holiday packing into the mix.
1: That's everything for this week, but if you enjoyed those articles, why not pick up a copy of The Spectator magazine? I'm Oscar Edmondson, and please join us again next week.